Yes, it's me, Mark Stone, and this is the Backseat Driver Podcast. A few weeks ago, I called down at the NEC for day one of the National Classic Car Show. Had a stroll around, met up with one or two people I hadn't seen for a long while, made some contacts for future Backseat Driver podcast interviews, and took the chance to have a chat with Andrew Bradbury of the Historic Marathon Rally Group to see what these guys are still up to. Many of the cars that remain, uh, now 50, nearly 60 years old, the cars are still active, as are shall we say, the drivers who still remain, who are still with us all these years later. Then, with Angela Hook from the fantastic Bugatti Trust. If you've never looked into the Bugatti Trust, please do so. It's the archive of Bugatti. Ettore Bugatti, his son Jean, uh, along with his father and his brother. It is the envy of Bugatti themselves. It is larger than any collection of archives and drawings than France. And Caroline Bugatti, one of Ettore's daughters, is still with us. She still runs a circuit in France, but she still comes to England when they need to find out facts and figures. And it's the original Bugattis, the old Bugattis, not the new ones. And finally... I went to see Fiona Elliott of Me and My Car Gifts pick up a few ideas for Christmas uh, along with all their full range of products whilst Fiona is also the supplier of my Swixtill vintage racing clothing, Swixtill being one of my sponsors. So sit back and enjoy a chat with three fascinating people uh, and the first of quite a few interviews that will emanate from the uh, National Classic Car Show 2022. I'm here with Andrew Bradbury on the historic Marathon Rally Group stand at the NEC Classic Car Show. Andrew, welcome to the Backseat Driver podcast. Thank you very much. Right. Now, looking at the cars on the stand, these are what I would call proper rally cars. They were designed for long-distance events. I mean, just tell us about the historic Marathon Rally Group, the organisation. We started off... Hmm. What, nearly 15 years ago, started by Philip Young and Ted Taylor to celebrate and, re- and really bring up reunions of the cars and the people who took part in these big marathon events. The first one we did, which I wasn't involved with directly at the time, was the 40th anniversary of the World Cup Rally. Since then, we've done London Sydney 50, World Cup Rally 50. The next one is the 70, 1974 World Cup Rally 50th anniversary which we're just now starting to dig around looking for the people who do the events find the cars um, so we're not really a club as such although we do have quite a, a mailing list of people that we keep in contact with How many of the original cars and the original drivers still exist? The cars more than you think especially the London Sydney London Mexico um, we think on the London Mexico, which is the one where there's the most, there's about 20, 25 maybe. We're not sure. Some of them are in a dreadful state. Um, the 1974 one we're looking at now, we've only found four cars. And three of those competed in the 1970 or the 1968 event. 
Right, because I know there's a Ford Capri here that did more than one event. The Ford Capris, uh, now I've got to get this right because the owner will chastise me for it if I don't. It is a 2.8, built on a left-hand drive and a Cologne shell. And that competed in the 1970 World Cup and the 1974 event. Now, the, the London to Mexico was there to celebrate the World Cup, to celebrate, the, to, to promote the newspapers and everything else. What was the sort of distance involved? The World Cup rally in total was 16,000 miles. Um, publicity, added publicity was given when Jimmy Greaves was not given a position at a place in the football team. Ford very quickly snapped him up and stuck him in a Ford Escort. And he turned out to be an exceedingly competent rally driver, along with Tony Fall. Um, and they, they had some turf in the car from Wembley Stadium that they took to the Aztec Stadium in Mexico. And that event was won famously, of course, by a Ford Escort, wasn't it? It was. Hanno Mikola and Gunnar Palm in the Escort, which was an 1850, and of course gave rise to the name of the sporting Escort called the Escort Mexico. And, I mean, we have one of the competitors here who I'm hoping to have a chat with shortly, Brom Burrell, uh, who drove an Austin Maxi. I mean, the cars then, it was a complete cross-section of cars that took part, or they were rally cars that people recognised. There were rally cars that people recognised, and you were right, there was a complete cross-section. There was a Rolls-Royce Silver Shadow, a Rolls-Royce Silver Cloud, a Mini Clubman that you're leaning on. Um, there was a complete cross-section. The Austin Maxi was a fairly new car, so it was a good outing for that. The British Army drove Peugeot 504s. And we also had a... Was it Prince Michael took part? Prince Michael was in an Austin Maxi along with Gavin Thompson and Neil, Nigel Clarkson, again, part of the British Army team. And, of course, Rosie Smith, the famous Irish rally driver, took part, and she was in a Maxi, if memory serves, a, a pinstripe, a pink pinstripe one. She was in um, an orange and white striped Maxi. I don't know whether it was the colours of the Evening Standard newspaper, which I think their vans were that colour at the time. I'm not sure. But the one thing you can say is the drivers that took part were a, a breed on their own, weren't they? I think they had to be, just because of pure, the sheer distances they were doing. One of the longest rally stages in South America was nearly 500 miles long, and they only had 10 hours to do it in, and it was on rough terrain. Um, Brian Kulcheth won that one in the Triumph. Yeah, and the other thing was, a, a while ago, one of your, your celebrations, one of the uh, Citroën DSs that took part was discovered round the back of a cafe and has been since rescued, rebuilt and completed the rally. The story a little bit late, but it still did it. The story of the Citroen is an interview in itself. The owned, current owner was doing a tour of South America because he liked waterfalls and things in a vintage Citroen, 1940s Citroen. And some cafe owner said, I've got an old car like an old Citroen. And it turned out to be... Robert Nere's World Cup Citroen that was sold there when the engine blew up. It took Andre Midol around 13 years to persuade him to sell the car. He then kept spending his holidays in South America taking parts and rebuilding the car. Once it was done, they drove it to the Aztec Stadium 47 years after Hanul Mikola, but it finished. They then drove it up to New York 
and then back to South America and eventually it did find its way back to France but it took some it took a lot of doing it took a lot of I don't think blackmail is the right word but there was a lot of with the South American authorities there was a lot of went off to get that car paperwork and things like that yeah yeah they were told they could only take the car out of the country if it was replaced by a similar car which meant a Citroen five seats four doors pneumatic suspension so Andre found an old clapped out old Citroen GSA and shipped out that then they were quite happy because it met the criteria (laughs) I mean how many events do these cars now take part in or are they do to do they tend to be more static or do they go out and do demonstrations they tend to do demonstrations static static shows or the classic car tours the tulip rally tours um they don't get used really competitively bronwyn still does occasionally with the maxi where the problem is they're old cars if they get damaged it's not so much that the parts are expensive. Some of the parts on the specific to the competition cars are unavailable. You don't want to be having parts handmade because you've just thrown it through some hay bales sideways. <laughs> but but they are none of them sit in museums. They are all used one way or another. So they're all, in many ways, they're all still privately owned, either by the original owners or by the owners who've taken them on. That's right. The only the only ones that aren't are the escorts that are owned by Ford Heritage right so I hadn't realised that so I mean just behind us there's H1 FEV I mean which car is that I mean that's the Gunner Palm Mickler is that the car that won the 1970 was an escort FEV 1H when they did the 25th anniversary Ford came up with another escort and registered it as H1 FEV so it's a perfect replica of the car that won then? Almost. It's brought up to the rallying spec of the 90s, but they did win that. So they won the original rally in FEV 1H, and then they won the 25th anniversary in H1 FEV. <laughs> so, I mean, can any... How, how does, if they want to, how do people join this organisation? If they have a look on the website, there is a mailing list. I've got a separate mailing list for those who took part in the rallies or currently own the cars. But then we have a separate one that has got people who are just interested in what we do. So there's no membership as such because we're not really a club. Yeah. But if they want if they want to organise, if they want to join in, yes, if on the website, which is www.historicmarathongroup.co.uk, there is also a very busy Facebook page. Right. So you can, once a better term, you can become a supporter then. Definitely, that's what we're encouraging. And the more people we know, the more we get to know. Um, we've had somebody turn up this morning who turns out he owns two, owns two World Cup rally cars and lives in north of Scotland. You know, these things happen and people turn up. So, and cars turn up. I've been round today, look, because we're doing the 74 event, we're looking for Hillman Minx that did that event. We know the car still exists because it's on the DVLA website. We have no idea where it is. We would just like to find that car and invite them to come and join us. Right, because, I mean, one event we haven't mentioned is the famous London-Munich via the Sahara. I mean, how did that one come about? I think, I don't know the full story, so I'll be perfectly honest, but I think the route was planned 
through really what were Eastern Bloc countries. The politically political shenanigans of the time meant at the last minute there had to be a change. So somebody somewhere decided, I know, let's take it through the Sahara Desert and back. Which doesn't seem a brilliant idea, but... And of course it famously nearly killed Sterling Moss when they broke down in the middle of the Sahara. Right, but... I mean, it's a fa- these rallies were fascinating. I mean, they'll never take place again, will they? I mean, many ways for political reasons. They'll never take place again, partly political reasons, but of course partly you would never be allowed to drive three or four days without sleep. You know, the health and safety gets involved, and, and rightly, I mean, really, you want to be driving a car flat out for three or four days with no sleep, very little to eat or drink, the odd five-minute break get your head down when you can just for 10 minutes before you're off again so they were real endurance rallies I mean the interesting thing was a lot of, some of these cars had crews of three didn't they because they would rotate What one could be sat in the back sleeping they'd have one, in, one driving one navigating one sleeping um, they generally had one driver would be the one who did all the special stages and then they'd have the one he'd probably be rest while the other driver was doing the road between sections. Um, some a lot like to go two up. Brian Colcheth two up. He didn't want the extra weight. Roger Clark famously, we're not going three up. We want two up. For all the escorts went two up, but some did. Quite a few did go three up. Right, but I mean, it's a fascinating period of time in the history of rallying, and it's just a shame that you won't be able to really do it again, isn't it? It is, um, and I think it's probably why there's a lot of interest in the reunions the number of people we've had who come and make themselves known um, somebody was here earlier who, oh I worked on that escort he said well, I, I welded the floor up when they crashed it on the um, I can't remember where he, he did say where they crashed it I didn't hear that bit, but he was the one underneath mechanic underneath it welding the floor up so they could carry on so you never know at these shows who's going to turn up But so it's nice to see though really is nice to see so, Andrew Bradbury, as I said, anybody wants to get involved, it's all the W's, historicmarathonrallygroup.co.uk. But anybody can join in, follow what you're doing, and come and see you at your various events and celebrations. Absolutely, and as I say, feel, have a look at Facebook page, is always very busy. Once again, Andrew Bradbury, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. I'm here at the NEC Classic Car Show and I'm on the, basically it's the Prescott Speed Hill Climb stand, the Bugatti Owners Club stand and of course the Bugatti Trust stand with Angela Hook, curator of the Bugatti Trust. Angela, welcome to the Backseat Driver podcast. Well, thank you very much for having us here. Fantastic. Now, how many Bugattis have you got here on show? Seven, though... I'm counting the Bebe Peugeot as one of our exhibits, when, of course, the name gives it away. It's a Peugeot. <laughs> but dear old Ettore designed the engine. He designed the concept and the body with a Peugeot engine and sold the concept to Peugeot, having been turned down by a German manufacturer, their loss. But we look at it as sort of one of the first steps in the evolution of Bugatti, if you think about the tricycle he did for Prinetti and Stuckey, 
then some other types, but then we get to the Bebe Peugeot, and then, of course, our theme for the stand is the evolution of Bugatti. After the Bebe Peugeot, we move on to the Brescia, and so on. Now, I'm not saying this to be boastful. I am a member of the Bugatti Trust and delighted to be a member. Uh, it's somewhere I visit as and when I can because it's quite a distance away from me. But you've had a successful 2022. What's lying ahead for 2023? I know what's lying ahead for 2023, so I'm very pleased you're asking me this question. We would have celebrated 30 years of the Bugatti Trust right in the middle of the pandemic. So slightly late, we're celebrating our 30th anniversary. And what will that entail? We will review our history. We will exhibit important cars in our history of exhibition. We will champion our archive, which we've spent over 30 years um, not fine-tuning, but digitising, organising, and we're introducing some new elements for the future, to future-proof it, and just look at the work we've done for the last 30 years and how we are taking all of that to move forward. And will this tempt any existing members of the Bugatti family back over to uh, your Prescott location? We would love that. We're, I mean, we're huge fans, obviously not just of the cars, but also of members of the Bugatti family. And invitations will be extended to them because we're hoping to organise a special celebration day as part of the celebration exhibition where we bring people back who have been there for important milestones for example Caroline Bugatti it'd be wonderful to welcome her back she was last with us when we had the Vimeo car online from the Schlumpf Museum Caroline came over with her family and as you know she she manages a racetrack she drives Bugattis she uh, she does the name proud really I mean, that's one thing. You mentioned the Bugatti name, and it's, it's not a manufacturer of cars. It's, myth, it, it's, it's mythical now, With besides the cars, the boats, the door hinges, yes. uh, and, of course, his brother and his father's furniture and sculpture. I mean, it, it, they took on mythical status and have remained so. Do you, do you find that people stand in awe and look at them? They stand in awe and look at them and you never know who's going to be doing that in front of which object or car. So we have visitors to the museum who might come in to discover cars and they'll be fascinated by a Rembrandt sculpture of an elephant in, you know, stretching forwards to pick up a little apple. And what we love is also working with the younger people, obviously. We've got educational aims and objectives and at the moment, we're finishing a research module for a um, postgraduate group of students from Coventry University, just under 100, who came in two visits and then return visits, creating a project based on our archives and to see the wonder in their eyes when they're looking at original archive documents, original postcards from the family, an original Christmas card that's 100 years old. It's really special. I mean, you very kindly provided me with the book on Bugatti's ideas and designs and drawings, and I lent it to a friend of mine who was a designer, an engineer, and a mechanic in the highest uh, echelons of motorsport. And he looked at them and said, 
these are still relevant today and they're so old. Do you find that the engineering students still find this? Yes, the engineering students still find this and we work with Formula Student as well. So we sponsor a number of teams including Coventry, UW, Bristol uh, and Cardiff now and to see their reaction when they come to the museum and discover the engines, their beauty, their functionality and also the development over the decades of what Tatori achieved. Um, it, it's just fabulous to see the spark ignited in them looking at engines that are 100 years old. Angela Hawke, it's always a pleasure chatting to you. Thanks very much for joining me on the Backseat Driver podcast. Thank you so much and come back soon. (laughs) I'm with Fiona Elliott at the uh, National Classic Car Show at the NEC. A past guest on the Backseat Driver radio show when we were discussing Christmas presents. Well, there's more appropriate time than now to discuss them again. Fiona, welcome to the Backseat Driver podcast. Thank you very much. Right, we're surrounded by all your goods and wares, and of course you are the main stockist of Swixtill, which is my chosen uh, vintage racing clothing brand, and of course the sponsor of my radio show. What's new for 2022 and 2023? Well, for 2022, um, new we have new colours in the classic Nassau, which is our best-selling and the classic polo shirt, the style that was worn by Sir Sterling Moss, um, so made famous and Fangio as well wore it. So it made famous through that era. Made even more famous because I wear them. (laughs) (laughs) And and now available in a choice of more colours. So we now have the ice white and the charcoal grey. Um, as new colours within there. Um, For next year, there are some new developments coming through and we're looking to actually move some of the maybe accessories ranges on a little bit more and also things like the gloves at the moment, which we do in uh, stringback gloves with cognac leather and also we do them with blue leather. For next year, we're going to do British Racing Green as well. So we will have more colours within within there as well. And it's not just Swixil you sell, you sell all sorts. I mean, socks, mugs, uh, bottle stoppers, all sorts of things like that. What else is new? New for us this year are, um, we have a range of clocks, which are um, made by a German company. They specialise in tin plate, and um, they have some very nice licences with the likes of BMW, um, and they also have Martini in there and Mercedes. So we've got some nice new wall clocks um, from there. And clocks has been an area that's actually done very well from us over the years. So we were a little bit short of clocks, so we've also introduced a replica Smith's clock as well, which was the classic factory clock of the 1950s. Um, so we have a replica of that one too. Um, we've expanded this year the range of um, Uli Eretz art um, that we stock. And so we have some new images from there. We started off being very Goodwood specific because we, we took the range to Goodwood to start with. And now we're being a little bit more broader. And Uli has a lot of um, art, including a sort of classic Le Mans. So we've included some images from there as well. So it's quite a lot of new. Now, besides we're here at the NEC, whereabouts will you be appearing next year? Next year at the moment we're looking at Goodwood Members Meeting in April. Um, Then we'll be at Goodwood Revival in September and then hopefully back here in November. We may be at Silverstone, we just need to sort out some dates. Unfortunately for us they've moved it a little bit close to um, Goodwood Revival and um, sort of two weeks between shows is actually quite tight for us at the moment. And the one thing you do do is... You've a, a price range for every pocket, haven't you? I mean, 
if 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 a little lad or a little girl wants to buy dad or mum something, uh, you do do something that they can probably afford, all the way up to things that people just dream of. Indeed, we, we always wanted to do that. We wanted to be affordable. So we start with a, um, a tin of pocket mints, and those are £4. Um, and then we go right the way up to sort of 650 up to 1000 on certain items. So really, there's something hopefully for every budget. And we always wanted to be affordable and to offer good value. So some of our prices might not be the, the cheapest item in the world, but in terms of value for money, then we try and ensure that it's as, as good a value as we can possibly be. And if somebody Googles me and my car gifts, you'll pop up, won't you? Especially on Facebook. Yes, we should. Yes, we'll appear there and also on Instagram as well. So, um, yes, we will appear on those as well. Um, So, yes, and the full website is meandmycar.co.uk, so you can easily find us that way. Fiona Ellen, thank you very much for joining me on the Backseat Driver podcast. Thank you very much, Mark. Nice to talk to you again. beaten on price never beaten on service whether it's cars bikes or commercials Hoddy tires are the best in the business and when it comes to tire expertise and advice to supplying the correct tires for your vehicle specific requirements nobody comes close to david lakin and the Hoddy tires team so give them a call on 01200 613 192 or visit the website at hoddytires.co.uk